Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is where we have conversations with guests about life, loss, grief, and grief dreams, which can be dreams of your loved ones that have passed away. So if you want to know more about the topic, you can definitely check out our website, griefdreams.ca, for more information. And here are four ways you can help support the podcast and help us spread awareness on this amazing topic. So number one, subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform that you listen to it on. Number two, become a member of the podcast, and that's for as low as $1.50 a month. This helps us run the podcast, and you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. Number three, you can take the Grief Dreams online course by Dr. Joshua Black at griefdreams.ca. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Facebook at Grief Dreams. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Happy to be here and uh, thank you to all our listeners. Thanks for coming on and listening to this program. In today's episode, we have with us, it is a guest update episode and we are bringing back on Heather Stang. She came on last episode 119 and Heather is the author of Mindfulness and Grief and the now released guided journal From Grief to Peace. She is the founder of the Mindfulness and Grief Institute, where she facilitates Awaken, a mindfulness-based online group, offers individual sessions, and hosts the Mindfulness and Grief podcast. Heather holds a master's degree in thanatology from Hood College and is a certified yoga therapist. Learn more about Heather and download her free Navigating Grief Guide at mindfulnessandgrief.com. Heather, welcome to the podcast again. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Well, we loved you so much. We had to bring you back. Yeah. And so wow. just, just for listeners, if they're listening to this, the one prior, we're going to be releasing the episode 119, the one you're on prior. So we won't talk too much about your journey. And you had a lot of loss. I remember in that episode, I think there was like, hold on, I got, I got a list here. You had an uncle, stepdad, two dogs, a friend, and a grandmother. <laughs> yeah, you talked we have about. a couple more to add sadly over the past since i talked to you last i think that's so, a good spot yeah. to i think talk about so you know what what has changed within the the last i guess two years since we've you've been on and it's always an interesting question of when you're when you're asking someone who's in the field working in the field of grief about their loss you know because sometimes there's an expectation that somehow we transcend it which is not true so my biggest loss during the past two years that happened about 6 months after we recorded that podcast was my beloved little chihuahua miniature pincher sidekick monster died after probably about five months of, of what I'll call palliative care. Not that I saw that he was, I couldn't accept that he was at the end of his life, even though he was 14. You know, to me, I think I can make dogs live forever. So there was a lot of care driving to the vets regularly for pain management, for fluids. And when he died, even though like there was a part of me that knew he was going to die, it wrecked me. And yet his death, the experience of the moment of his death was so beautiful because I was surrounded by amazing vet techs who 
gave me a lot of space and just held me. This was pre-pandemic, so you could actually hug people and let let us stay with him for a period of time after they didn't rush us out. It it was, you know, it's that whole thing of of loss where it's it can be incredibly painful and gut wrenching. And how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get through this? But also that comfort that I received. Uh, I'll say from the Animal Rehab and Pain Management Center in Funkstown, Maryland. I want to give them credit for their their grief sensitivity and just gentleness. And we can talk a little more more about how I've the the rituals I've done, the writing I've done, the things I've done to cope with that loss. And I've had another loss too. That my grandmother died actually a couple months ago, and I hadn't seen her in years. And part of the reason I hadn't seen her is I'm estranged from that side of the family. And so it already made peace with, with the, the disconnect and with the estrangement and with the grief over that. She had, she had dementia. She lived a long, healthy life. You know, she lived until she died, as, as we say. Like, she was an amazing an amazing person, an amazing, amazingly healthy person. But I think I'm still processing that. It's only been a couple months. And losing someone or having someone die when you're you're estranged from the family is something I'm still working with. And I hope maybe I can help other people with it later, you know, once I've done my own work. Yeah, it's one of those things where it is very unique in the sense of the loss and you got to find your way through it like you've done with your other losses to be able to then have a better guide to understand how to help others who have similar processes, you know, going on or similar losses. And like it's like with with anything like I I learn a lot just by talking to people, which is great like through the podcast I've learned a lot about people's grief journey, but before then, it was just my own. But that in itself gave me a lot of understanding of just emotions. But everything's so unique. I know you have your own podcast where a lot of guests come on and, and share their lost stories. And they're just everything's so unique. But to be able to go through something like that and find your way through, it gives you a little more insight into what that, how do you work with that? How do you work with those emotions? I personally said, like, I don't know. And it's one of those things that I'll probably rely on you after you work through this to get a better insight too on and what that feels like and what the best way to approach that is. I mean, it's always you know, with love and <laughs> probably, right, but like yeah. what you actually go through and how do you make, make amends and, and figure all that stuff out. But I wish you all the best as you sort of work through that. But I want to go back to your, your monster, mm, <laughs> your little, little your little monster. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember the first time I, I took him to a new vet and they, they were like, what is he? And I said, a miniature pincher chihuahua na- you know, named Monster. And they said, that sounds bitey. <laughs> <laughs> and he so wasn't. Like my husband Craig and I often talk about how we feel like Monster was just an enlightened being. <laughs> you know, and I, I know a lot of people feel that way about their animals. <laughs> we all think our animal is the most special special animal. Well, t- but well, he was so calm and doing this work, doing this grief work that I do, I 
kind of need a calm companion animal between sessions. I mean, even though none monster nor my current dog, Ariel, who's equally special in her own way, I need something that I can put my love into and that reminds me of life and that lifts me up between sessions. You know, it's part of my self-care is, mm-hmm. is to love an animal. And so when Monster died, the thing I noticed was the vacuum of silence in the house. The lack of his his presence was really hard. And, you know, I know that people feel this when any being dies that's been in their house, that stays in their house, whether it's a human or an animal, it's just this vacuum. And what I did, well, first I cried a lot. Like I always tell people I am a very messy, sloppy, snotty, go through the boxes of tissues griever. It is, it's not pretty. And I'm okay with that. I accept that I just ugly cry a lot. What I wound up doing, actually, it wasn't that I wound up doing, it was that a friend wound up prompting it. So Monster died um, mid-December of 2019, and I went over to our really close friend's house to exchange Christmas gifts that I'd had a really hard time buying, by the way. Buying Christmas gifts when you're grieving just feels like a challenge. And what's the point? But I really loved these people and I wanted to do something nice. And I walk in and and one of the, the daughters hands me this plaque of monster. She's made me this plaque and it has monster's um, birth year and death year on it. And it has a quote on it. And it's... I wish I could remember the quote because I look at it every night. It's kind of funny. I can't right now. It also had has um, the image of carrots because anyone who knew Monster knew that carrots were his favorite treat. And you could just say the word carrot and he'd come running. And of course, part of me was like really mad because I didn't want in that moment to fall apart. I just wanted to go and give gifts and be done with it. So my first reaction I'm just going to be really honest about it, was like, why are you reminding me? But of course, my second reaction was as if I wasn't already thinking about him, you know? So I kind of watched those dichotomies show up in my own brain. And I just cried and they let me cry and I was so grateful. And I came home and we created a little niche in, in the sitting room, which is where Monster spent his last days. And I have that plaque we hung up plaques of all the, the, or pictures of all the dogs that have come before him. We have cremains of Monster and his buddy Woody, my husband's Doberman, and our cat Tiki, which um, we, we didn't cry a lot over Tiki, I'll be honest. We loved him, but he was not attached to us. We cared for him, but it's a different relationship. And so I've got this this altar, basically. And what I do is I find this really helpful. And I've given this uh, this practice to some of my clients, whether it's been human loss or pet loss, or is that it, at night when the sun sets, I go in and I turn on some LED candles and I kind of gaze at them. And then 
at bedtime, I go and I, I say I love you and I boop each picture on the nose with my finger and anyone who has a pet knows mm. about booping and, and I, I touch each one and it is amazing how much peace that brought me in, you know, in the, the weeks after setting that up. And I think it's the power of giving your grief a place to be expressed, but not just your grief, your love, because it was intentionally creating time every single day to intentionally and mindfully and formally say, this matters. Yeah. No, I love that. That's so beautiful. I think the intentions around it, creating a space is is so important. And I can I could see a lot of value in that even in when my dog passes away, it's something I I would really want to do. And I love how you boop their noses. <laughs> do I boop and I'm still doing it. You know, I did it last night and we're we're um, yesterday was actually the anniversary of another dog in my life that I love, Brandy. And she died a week after my stepfather died. You'll hear about that in episode 119. But so Tom's anniversary was last week and Brandy's anniversary was yesterday. And so Brandy got a couple extra boops and, mm-hmm. you know, on the nose. And it's, it, even though I'm not as emotionally rattled anymore, you know, I've worked I've worked on this grief. I've I've found a way to carry monster in my heart. I don't feel the anxiety and the emptiness uh, that I felt, of course, you know, when I was going through an acute grief experience. But for me, it is still very important that I acknowledge that love. And I've actually started volunteering with a a dog rescue just transport transporting dogs in my car from you know one place to another maybe to another car where these these dogs on their transport days can have a lot of time in the car let me tell you and that's really helped me feel like I'm helping all dogs which is even though monster wasn't a rescue per se my new dog is and I'm just such a dog person and and finding some meaning in um, helping other dogs. When I can't help Monster, you know, as I'm talking, as I'm saying this, it, one of the things I really missed when Monster died, and I've heard this from from humans who've lost humans that they've cared for, who've had some life-limiting illness or, or on hospice, or for people like me who were taking a dog to the vets every, you know, once or twice a week for a long period of time, is you miss that role of the caregiver. Like, I really missed helping him. And when he died, I couldn't help him anymore. And I think that the volunteering is helping me help other dogs, which gives me a continuation of that love. Were there some feelings of guilt when he died? Always, right? It's like, I think this is the, the, one of the, I mean, I, I say always, I know it's not always, but I think with a lot of people who are in a caregiver role, when the person or the dog ultimately dies, we look back and we, tr- we, we look for all the things that we could have done differently. Yeah, this is sure. so human. It's yeah. so human. And I think what, what this experience with Monster did 
is it reconnected me to to that feeling and it's helping me be more compassionate with not that I was less compassionate and not that it changes how I treat my students or my clients but it brings that understanding of that guilt more close and more intimate I felt that when my stepfather died and I wasn't even caring for him but I felt really guilty that I hadn't told him to not get a surgery that I now realize he would have gotten anyway. It wouldn't have mattered what I said. And he really did need the surgery. But it's that hindsight, right, where we go back and and try to look for what I could have done different to prevent this. And the reality is I've come to terms that I did everything I possibly could but that took a while. That took a while. That was part of my grief work. So I'm really glad you asked that question because I imagine yeah, listeners who feel that. Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, and you're right. I think that's as a, if you're in a role of a caregiver, or even if you just care deeply about someone, you can sometimes feel guilt because that person is sick, they're in need, and you want to alleviate that as best that you can, or that animal is is hurting. And I think it's, if a person is able to speak to you, then you could say like, well, how can I make you more comfortable? And then they can give you a response. And at least you feel a little bit better in that, you know, yeah. but with an animal, it's, it's even more difficult because you have to read a lot of body language and, and, you know, you have to know your dog and then hopefully you get the signs back that it's, uh, you've done what the dog wanted. Cause, but often it's very difficult, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the whole reading of the body language, <laughs> you know, the dog looking up with you and you, up at you with those eyes and you know, they're in pain and you're just saying, I'm do I'm doing this. Mm. This will be temporary, but I know it's, it's going to give you, you know, this is five minutes out of the week and you're going to have the rest of the week is going to feel great because we're yeah. doing this, but you can't say that. And, and then you, you can't ask the dog, like, is this what you want? Yeah. Is this helping? <laughs> um, and I, and that's, you know, that's another one of those really hard things with pets is, you know, when we, when we take them to a vet to end their life is hard. Monster gave me a gift that, uh, you know, I, I woke up one day and, and we just knew it was the day, but Monster started started to leave like before the vets gave him um, whatever it is that they give him. And I feel like he gave me a signal that he was ready. You know, I feel like he was letting me know he was ready. That's how I interpret that. But I've been in situations where I've had to make that choice or a situation where I had to make that choice. And it's really hard. And I just want to say to any pet owner listening who's had to go through that, like, you know, we're showing our animal mercy and I get how hard that decision is. I think that's one thing that talk about guilt, you know, that that's something that we have to work through. But at the end of the day, come to that understanding that we're making a loving decision. Yeah, and I'm and I'm really happy that you had some great vet technicians and oh people with you to yeah. not only explain what's going on with your dog, but to console you, which is what you want. 
it's not it again these let's call it industries whether it's dying in a hospital dying in a hospice you know or, or a vet they're they're they can be clinical and sometimes cold mm-hmm. and i think as time goes on they will understand that gap and you know already they're trying to do things to make it more comforting for people to people or pets to die in but it can sometimes go sideways but uh it sounds like you had a situation that was very very good and and great for you guys in in one of the most important moments right right well and i was actually seeing two vets two different not i don't mean veterinarians although i do but i was actually going to two different practices at the time monster had his regular vet and he had his pain management vet and when the time came I, there was no question in my mind which place I wanted my dog to be in because of the demeanor. And so I'm glad I had that choice because I, I, my senses had I taken him to the other, like the other place I, I'd actually had a vet say to me, she said this, and she's supposedly a palliative care vet. She said, we can't let him get like this. <laughs> we can't let him, he's, he's old and dying. (laughs) Like, you know, it felt so like shaming to me. It was so Mm. hard and I never went back. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, it was time for him to go, you know, in the next couple days, but there was no way he was going back to that because that's not what I needed to hear. And I think, and I, I have, because I do my own work and because I am in the grief field, I know that this person was burnt out. Like I know that that was her stuff Mm. coming through and I have compassion for her. And I hope that whatever, you know, that she has, has found some care for herself, which is always a good reminder for me and for you all, for anyone working in this field is we have to take care of our own stuff so that it doesn't leak out at our at our clients that's, and the time you know, need. that's really big on you. And that that's I mean, that just shows the work you've done in your life to get to that level. And you're the right person to instruct other people because I, I can any nobody would blame you on getting snappy or, or hurt <laughs> by that quickly, right? Like that's a yeah. It, that that's a kind of an ins- it's an insensitive thing and mm-hmm. and you have a lot of compassion that you can look beyond that and say you know I've seen this and I I kind of understand that that was actually when my next question is during let's say during or after monster's death were there any things that people said or did that kind of I guess weren't maybe the best way for you like because you can recognize this stuff that you thought oh that that's not really what i want to hear right now or that you kind of had to maybe move past or or use compassion oh absolutely (laughs) because monster died two weeks before christmas i should have canceled christmas okay i just should have if i could go back in a time machine the one thing i would do differently after he died you know other than finding some miracle that he could live forever you know, it would have been to just be like, nobody's coming. I can't do this. Um, so, oh, yeah, there were people who wanted 
who wanted and and just remember everybody this was 2019 so pre-pandemic back when holidays were normal um which for those of you who haven't had a normal holiday in a while you might have forgotten but there's What's that? there's there's the expectation of like we're gonna go shopping and we're gonna watch christmas movies and we're gonna eat out and we're gonna prepare meals and we're gonna be happy and you know i wasn't and i did not take the advice that I always, you know, give my, give my clients and students, which is learn to say no. <laughs> so this also gave me compassion, right? You know, just again, not that I wasn't compassionate, but it, it brought me into that space of how hard it is sometimes to say no when you, you just kind of are, are exhausted, emotionally exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so, so that, that was a, a big part of the grief experience was going through that week of Christmas with family where it was, you know, well, we, you know, you just, and, and not, not that the people that I'm, that I'm thinking of haven't had their own loss and haven't gone through it themselves. Um, but just, they weren't going through it in the way I was. And I think there's something too, and, and people who've had an animal or a human who've died, by living most of their lifespan, like a mm-hmm. grandparent or right. or an older dog, there's that kind of like, well, you know, he was 14, so we can just keep going with the holidays. And you're like, my life, as I know it, has changed and will never be the same. And, you know, but it's like, well, you had a good, you know, had a good life, right? Or you did every... Now, the things, you know, the things that people said that were helpful, and I'm lucky that maybe because of doing this work, I have weeded out a lot of the people who would say insensitive things. I'm very lucky to be surrounded by, I have a lot of grief experts who are my best friends, right? So most people said or didn't say something which is good or they said something nice. But having people tell me that Monster knew I loved him and that I, that, you know, I went above and beyond as a, as a dog owner, which uh, that was nice to hear. Yeah. And actually when I went to adopt my dog now, Ariel, you know, they do a thorough background check. <laughs> you know, they take, they take a blood sample. They do a credit report. I mean, it's not that, but it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and, I thought you were and, serious there for yeah. a second. And I'm like, well, wow, it's so different in the States. <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually do. They actually do have you, you know, provide a list of your veterinarians that you've used in the past and they call up and they interview them. And I found out that, that my, one of the vet techs that was with me, uh, when monster died, she, she got interviewed and the adoption coordinator said, wow, I want her to adopt me. (laughs) And so hearing that made me feel like, wow, I'm like a model pet owner. I did good for Monster, you know, because what Becky said to her was like, this person, you know, really cares and really did everything she could. And that, you know, that's not even about ego. That's not like you did a good job. That's like you loved well. And and I think maybe that's one of the things I want to just carry with me throughout life is to just love as best as I can, whether it's the people and animals that are alive in my life or the ones that I look back on and, and miss and think about often. 
That's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And you could tell the love that you've had for Monster and your other babies. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm with you. That's the one thing that when my dog dies, I want to know and probably, and hopefully I'll get a good grief dream about it. But I want to know, was I a good dad from him? Because they can't, I mean, they kind of show you, but not really. Like, I mean, I know when he's happy, I know when he's having a good time and I try to do that. I try to make him as happy as possible. But like, you know, that's what you're always kind of like hoping, right? But like, it's not like they they can't talk to you. <laughs> What's cool in dreams, they can. I've seen a couple where, the, yeah, the, the animal does talk to the owner. So, hey, Sean, you never know. Yeah, and that's that's the, um, and I think that's the beauty of it. And, and it just shows, you know, to to everybody that this is uh, as significant as a human loss is these pets that we love. And a lot, you know, everybody, a lot of people have these beautiful creatures in their home. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are hoping for some positive dreams. And, and that's the hope that, you know, we try to give to people on this show is that, Hey, you know, you can have that opportunity because, you know, Joshua Black has done work on that and we can see that it happens and it, it's there. I find it really neat that dogs talk in dreams. I'm glad they don't in real life. <laughs> you really? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that's something that makes them so special. You know, language can really be misinterpreted. <laughs> and I, I've been reading a lot of books on animal behavior um, in the past year because Ariel has some fear reactivity. And so I'm really trying to make her life easy. And, mm -hmm. and part of that is understanding her psychology and what makes her uncomfortable. And, and one of the behaviorists I've been reading is Patricia McConnell. Love her stuff. And she has a whole section in, I think it's her book. I've read The Other End of the Leash, which is about how human behavior impacts dogs. Mm -hmm. um, but the other one is For the Love of a Dog, which talks about emotion. And in there, she talks about like, what it would what would it really be like if our dogs could talk back to us? And if we think about the times where we've gotten snippy with another person, <laughs> you know, like part of why we always say we love our dogs is of unconditional love. But we also know that there are probably times where our dog hasn't been 100% thrilled with us. <laughs> and oh, yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to unhear things that they might have said in those moments. <laughs> I think it'd be a lot of uh, food. Food? Yeah, food. Exactly. Why walk. Food. Walk. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, maybe maybe after this discussion, I'll have a grief dream where Monster will talk to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out in the universe. Oh yeah, I hope so. Hey, well, all you can do is try, and so you right. fill out that grief dream builder worksheet on our website, and then just think about it before bed for this week, and really just meditate on it, and then you'll see, or maybe that'll show up. It's, you know, it's one of the dream incubation has been shown to occur at times. And so why not give it a try? I'm going to give that a try tonight. I should have done it last night so I could give you a great story. But I do want to say that your dream builder worksheet really helped one of my clients recently who was having a recurring nightmare. And she just posted in my Facebook, our closed Facebook group for Awaken, you know, what do I do about recurring nightmares? And I was like thank goodness I have a resource for this. And I, I said, okay, first just try this worksheet and I sent her to your website. And she says it works. So thank you. Thank you for that. 
Wow, that's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, it makes my it makes my job easier. <laughs> I can just send them to you. <laughs> yeah, and if it's like just dreams and stuff, we're learning a lot about. But there is something about not being afraid of dreams and to mm-hmm. face them head on, and that's what you're you're doing. And in a way, where you're thinking about a different dream that you want, and and trying to tell yourself also what's most comforting for you. At the same time, hopefully she's got some, or whoever that was, got some understanding of why that negative dream was occurring because they keep occurring because a lot of times we just don't know. And our minds is trying to tell us, hey, wake up. You need to deal with this in many ways. So as long as you understand it, the mind doesn't need to sort of replay it over and over again because it says you got it. And so why not have a positive dream along the way? So I'm just glad it helped. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I think it is too. I think it was the the letting go of resistance for her that made a big difference. And I won't dive into it because it's her story, but yeah, um, and this is just, your episode. Yeah, if she wants so. to come on, hey, that's it's <laughs> <laughs> always an option. Right. <laughs> and so I'm really curious because one of the biggest things that people will say that's a lot like most of the time, it's very inappropriate at times is, well, you can just get another dog, right? right? (laughs) But, you know, it is terrible, but you did get another dog. And so I'm just curious. (laughs) Right. So I went through that, like, where I was like, oh, gosh, I'm just, you know, really, I struggled with that, you know, and really, you really helped with that stereotype. And so I really (laughs) did. Well, it did take a couple months, but what it really was was the emptiness in the house. Like, and, and I think I also, because of my own work on grief throughout my life and the fact that I'm in this field, I knew that I wasn't getting another dog to replace monster. Like I was never going to replace monster. And in fact, I consciously, even though I thought he was just a perfect dog in many ways, I was not going to get a little black chihuahua mix that was a male. It was like, I have to get a dog that looks different. Because some people get, you know, they they buy the same breed or get the same breed. And that's fine. Like that's, I'm not saying that's wrong. But for me, I was like, if I get, if I get a dog that looks identical to him, I'm going to have really high expectations. You know, like this dog is never going to live up. You never want to follow the perfect dog, right? And so the choice really was about my knowledge of myself and that I need companionship during the day. I work from home. I do this grief work. And I knew that I probably wouldn't be in love with the dog immediately. And my husband, my husband was kind of like, we're getting another dog. Like he couldn't take it either. He hated the silence. Again, he knew it wasn't about replacing him, but we are dog people. And so when we when we decided to do it, I said to him, this was really funny now. I said, okay, we can get a dog, but it's your dog because I'm not ready for a dog. And he's like, okay, whatever. And so we go and we meet this dog. Instantly, she like comes up and snuggles against my thigh, just like, you know, magnet to me. And I'm kind of like, okay, this is nice. But you can look at the photos because we took photos. And you can see I'm grief stricken. Like my eyes are drawn, my face. I'm not, I'm smiling, but it's kind of that forced like, I liked this dog. I saw her. I saw so much potential, but I, I, my heart was so closed. 
And, you know, Craig's like, write him a check. <laughs> like, okay. All right. You know? All right. And I was terrified because of, you know, I'm like, you know, can I do this? But just kind of went with what, what he said within a, within a couple months, I was like, you know, she's my dog, right? <laughs> like, she's not your dog. She's my dog. And he's like, yeah, I, kn- I knew that. We just needed you to come around. So I know there's some people who do go out and get another dog. And maybe it's after, I think for us, it was about three months after Monster had died. Some people might wait years, you know, some people decades. And some people will fall in love with the new dog immediately because it's a dog. They're easy to love. And other people are going to be like me where I watched my, it was like watching or feeling rather, feeling my heart melt and eventually open until that day where I just looked at her and I knew I like that someday I'm going to be as devastated over her as I will monster. But between now and then, I'm just going to love her as best as I can and be present with her. And that's where the mindfulness piece comes in. I've known since I was seven years old and my uncle died by suicide that everyone I love is going to die, whether it's during my lifetime or not. Like I am not unaware of that. I've never been unaware of that. But it is nice to have a break from thinking about that all the time. And that's where my mindfulness practice, not only on the cushion, but just in life, to savor the joyful moments with the ones that are still here, humans and otherwise. You know, that's a big life lesson for me. I've had to really think about why I get a little triggered when people say things like that, like, get another dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think like I try to withhold judgment when it comes down to people who in your situation, or I know other people who had a dog and then they get one right away. And I try to understand that and say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what type of time a person needs for them to under- to wrap their head around it and go through it. Again, you can't put a there's no timeline on grief. And so I could just see how they've treated their dog in the past and they're very loving people. So I know with the new dog, they're going to be equally as loving. That doesn't mean like in your situation, like, you know, you've clearly expressed how much monster meant to you. Like that's not going to move. That's not going to change. He has a place for you and he still has a place uh, in your home and he's got a place in your heart. And I think that the reason I get irritated is because it reminds me of people who mistreat dogs. Mm. Like, cause it's, it's kind of like a a throwaway sentence. Like, Oh, just get another one. And and, and then I think, Oh, those are the type of people would probably get rid of a dog for no reason or a reason that might not be in my opinion (laughs) justified. Like, Oh, you know, he's getting old and whatever, whatever. Like I've actually, I yesterday I saw this post about someone who, just wanted to get rid of a dog because they were old and not moving around much. And I'm like, what the hell? You've had this dog for 11 years. Or, or uh, you know, people who say, oh, you know, he's too, uh, he's too uh, worked up. Well, how old is he? He's two years old. Yeah, all right. Well, that's how two-year-old dogs act. Like people who just aren't committed once that they're, they're not responsible, in my opinion. And they once they get the dog, they, they make these decisions and they just kind of throw away the dog, get another one. And it's just like, that's what 
is triggering to me, I think, when I really think about it. I completely agree with you. I I see and hear exactly what you're saying. It is kind of like saying you can get a new pair of shoes or you can buy a new coat. Yeah. It, it's not acknowledging the value. And I think also the intention behind why people say things. And a lot of times with grief, when people toss platitudes at us, whether it's you can get another dog, you can have another child, you can get married again, all of which just saying that made me feel nauseous. Like... It's so disconnected and insensitive and and it's coming from a place of pushing the pain away and saying, I don't want to look at this, so I'm just going to tell you to go fix it. That disconnection is heartbreaking rather than turning towards the, I'm really sorry that this happened or whatever your words are that work for you. I'm curious. I know the last time that you came on, you never had a grief dream of any of the other dogs that have died. Did Have you ever had a dream of monster or has your husband? Cause I know your husband had a dream of, uh, what was the dog's name? Woody. Woody, Woody. Woody yes, yeah. yes. And you shared that on the podcast. So I'm yes. curious if, if I have had a, I have had a monster dream and it was about a year or so ago. So I, I wish I'd, I can't believe I didn't write it down. Wait, 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 what? Hold on. I know, I know. Look, yeah, right? No judgments here, Heather. Oh, no, there's judgment. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of judgment, and I will never hear the end of this. And every time I I talk to you, you can remind me, because it is ridiculous that I didn't write it down, especially since I'm like a journaling person. I think it was maybe at a time where I, I just wasn't, I didn't have the energy to do a lot of that. So it was, it was early on, it was maybe probably four months or so after Monster died. And we, we had Ariel in the house. I wasn't like, you know, she and I are tight now. I, I liked her. I'm a great dog mom, no matter what, but you know, I'm not, I'm not abusive or neglectful, but it, it wasn't a real clear specific dream and my my grief dreams the few i've had in my life they're not like super narrative they're more of feeling you know that's more of an emotion and it was just like monster was his 6 year old self which is when he came into my life my husband's had him since he was a puppy monster came into my life at a very rambunctious 6 and you know, Monster was probably about that age in the dream. And he was sitting in his little monster pose that looks kind of like a triangular shape. And he's just looking at you with the eyes that are saying carrot. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a comforting, like, he's okay dream. That's all I've got around what it was. But I woke up feeling a lot less anxious and I felt like he was starting to move into my heart space. It's one of those things that's a little hard for me to explain in words, but part of my processing grief is feeling like they're portable inside me, if that makes sense. Like I can carry them with me everywhere. And that's been a process, but I feel like that dream uh, did did do that for me. Wow, that's so beautiful. 
I'm glad. I thought you were going to say you had one, but you just didn't remember. You don't remember it now. But yeah, you know some <laughs> details. So that's actually pretty good. Maybe you don't need to write it down. <laughs> Maybe I don't. But like, no, well, but like, I heart. feel like there could be some more to it. But that's that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy you had that experience. And what's interesting is we had another guest on in episode 157, Virginia, and she had she didn't have a, a grief dream of her dog, and then she she got another dog very similar she didn't want one but then just you know life brought her another dog and and the moment she got this other dog she had this other dream with the two dogs you know meeting each other almost and they're she was holding them mm, one in each hand wow. and i think that just amazing and you know maybe there's something to that maybe there's something about you know having this other animal a part of your life and and really opening your heart in many ways that helps with those processes or just being able to sit with um, a dream coming in many ways because you know i think a lot of people are having these dreams it's just you know when do we remember them like when when is it when do our minds say it's okay to remember this now and i think timing is such an important part of when these dreams happen or when we remember these dreams so i always look at sort of some of the stuff of what's going on around that time and and you got this this new pop and i'm Mm -hmm. like wow i wonder if that helped it probably did you know just having company and of course we project a lot onto our animals and so Craig and I talk about Ariel as being our grief therapy dog I mean we were just talking about this yesterday that you know her ability to just provide some comfort without having without feeling jealous you know like if it was a human they'd be like why you know if it was not death but say you know, like a relationship or something. There's, there can be that jealousy. And and she doesn't have that. She just has love to give. And what's real, I'll tell you what's interesting about this idea of love expanding, you know, the heart expanding to to encompass more and more beings, even when in, when one has died, is for the first time in my life, I'm open to the idea of fostering dogs. Whereas before, I felt like I could only love one dog at a time. And the fact that Craig had two when when I met him and I had to kind of work with that. And Brandy, by the way, Brandy had just died six months or so before Craig and I started dating. So Monster came into my life, but I wasn't choosing to have another dog in my life, right? The dog just showed up. I guess I chose to have a human in my life because I started dating Craig. But you know, with, with Ariel, I I feel like I'm, I love her so much, but I could also like love another dog too. Uh, and then let it go knowing that it's going to a, a good loving home. I don't know. It's, it's a whole new thing for me to wrap my head around and I have to get Ariel's permission too. I don't know what she thinks of this idea. Yeah, I think there's a lot of complexity there. I think it's obviously because of the difference between human connections and relationships and animal relationships mm-hmm. and specifically dog relationships because, you know, you just look at the history of how dogs even evolved and came about. It's it's been a very steward relationship with humans and, yeah. you know, dogs have uh, done their part and, you know, we've 
build that relationship, you know, whether they're protecting us or whether they're protecting the flock and whether they're protecting the home, whether they're killing rodents or however those <laughs> relationships have, have uh, expanded and changed. And yeah, I, I, I always think about that as well. I think about that sometimes in that if I was to, cause I only have one dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, would I be, able to or how would i shift my i guess emotional needs or relationship needs if i was to say foster or if i was to say take on two or three dogs you know how how can how does that dynamic change and i think it i think people who are able to do that look at it maybe from a different angle or incorporate let's say incorporate more of the stewardness of this is a, a more of a steward animal relationship. Yeah, I think you're, I think there is something to that. The thing I've learned just being around the foster, foster dog moms and dads and, you know, in, in the private Facebook groups for each of these rescues, you see when a dog gets adopted out and you see the joy on the face of the new parents and, and you you know you've done something good like there's a there's an end that's that's a beginning that is very different than that feeling when a dog dies you know and you're so i think there's maybe a, a an easier i know i know it's not easy easy but there's an easier letting go because you that was the intention in the first place was that stewardship and it's a great life lesson. It's a, it's, that's the lesson of attachment, you know, mm-hmm. that is going to, it's constant in our life and, you know, things will come and go. And it's very difficult when it's things that you love. Yeah. And even knowing that things you love are going to die doesn't mean it's easy to let them go. You know, right. it's easy. Like it's still, it's still the most painful thing, whether human or animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it takes. It's like I I love how people get the courage to continue to love and to open up their heart to new loves, as you are with Ariel. And I think that's just it's beautiful for me to see because all things could point to why I could understand if you closed your heart and never wanted yeah. to love again. Right, the pain is can be so excruciating, but yet there's something I think within us that continues to want to love and to to go to that direction, which I think is remarkable. So we've talked a lot about your loss and you had this new book. You wrote this at a time where you were actually recently bereaved. And so can you talk about that process and what that was like? Yeah, it definitely made me do some more work, (laughs) work I probably would have done anyway. So Monster died in December. I think my publisher contacted me maybe around March or April of 2020 and said, we want to take your first book, Mindfulness and Grief, and turn it into a guided journal. Are you okay with that? And I was like, I'm more than okay with that. I want to be involved. And I think initially they were going to take the book, and my editor's wonderful. She probably could have taken it and come up with some good prompts from it. But, you know, there's there's so many prompts that I wanted to put in the first book that just wouldn't fit that she wouldn't even know exist. And so they allowed me to come on board and I went through mindfulness and grief very mindfully. I looked at, for those of you who haven't read the book, 
pretty much everything I do is based on the mindfulness and grief system that I created that has eight modules, I'll call them, that help you use mindfulness and self-care and and some grief therapy techniques to not only cope with the pain of grief, but to live a full, loving life where your heart can expand again, where you can live with meaning. And so I spent time with each of those eight modules and created journaling prompts for for those that move people through the process. And each of the sections in the book, and there's actually nine sections, we added one, that's on sharing your story of love and loss, which we're doing right now. I'm getting to do that right now. It's very beneficial to do this. But each each section has an opening practice because this isn't just writing. I invite people to, like the first prompt is to connect with the part of you that's aware that you're aware and to just really spend some time in mindful awareness and then to write. So it's both a meditation book and a writing book, but you don't have to be an experienced meditator to do it. I help you with that. And you don't have to be a great writer either because journaling through grief isn't about you know, writing the next greatest American novel. It's about externalizing those internal feelings so that you can witness them and process them and metabolize them, make sense of them, and and take action on them when it's appropriate. And so each module starts off with a, a centering practice to kind of help get you in the, the mood of, of what the topic is. And and each section has something body-based, a body movement or meditation or self-care practice. And, and each section has an integration prompt at the end where it allows you to kind of reflect on what, what you have discovered within yourself during that, that section and allows you to really, again, let it land, you know, so you can embody it. And I'm really excited about this book because... I'm a talker. I mean, you know this. <laughs> I've been on the podcast. You guys can tell that. Just I, No problem filling space. But in my experience, working with people who are bereaved and intending to my own grief, it's when we have some time and some quietness and some spaciousness to be with what we're experiencing that's where the epiphanies show up. You know, not when I'm giving a lecture, but when you have the space to process and the space to tend to yourself. And so while I wrote this quote unquote book, I really think of this From Grief to Peace Guided Journal as a collaboration between me and whoever's holding it in their hands because you're writing the important parts of the book. You're writing the story. You're writing the the moments of insight and change. And I wish I could, you know, go through and read. (laughs) I mean, I'm very, I have my own history with journals and confidentiality and privacy. So I wouldn't actually go read someone's journal without permission. But I think it would really be interesting to hear from people who do this journal, some of their entries, you know, what do you get out of this? Kind of like you with your dreams. You know, you're giving people the tool of the grief dream, and then they're collaborating and and bringing these beautiful stories of love and connection. And I think the journal is similar in that way. 
Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful tool that someone can use. It's and it's amazing what comes out. And so like once if you're lecturing, people are just knowing what you think and what your process <laughs> is. But when you give people the space to just try to figure it out themselves, I, there's something else that comes out. Now that's what I like about even asking the question that we even ask with the tool and then also at the end of this podcast, we're not telling you what to to dream to help you. You're telling yourself what you need and I don't know that, you know, only you do. And it's about processing that. And if you have the courage to write it and to try it, well, then let's see what happens. And that's what I love about it because it's, I think it's very easy to use for people. Even if you're not a journaler, you could find benefit of just being, it's safe to try and see what happens because that is what I see life is, is you continually try new things to try to see if does it work for you. And with the space of grief, usually a lot of times our coping mechanisms that we've gained along the way usually don't work because you just can't drink your life away. <laughs> no, I've tried. It did not work. <laughs> no, and, and what's yeah, and just to jump on what what Josh was saying, it's 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 a it's a prompt. It's a shift in perspective, and I think sometimes we get caught on in one rut. And it's like driving on the highway and sometimes you see a billboard for something like say, you know, whatever hamburger place uh, and, and that'll prompt you. And then you start thinking, you're like, mm, yeah, I am hungry. But that's, that's what this, <laughs> that's what this is, is that, you know, you might be stuck and, you know, you, you read through the prompts that Heather's providing and that might unstuck you or prompt you to think a different way. If you, again, have the courage or, you know, if you're in the right state of mind to do that. I'm glad you brought up that idea of stuckness because that's actually something we wove into the book and that I talk about in the introduction is in each of the sections in the journal, there's a two-page spread that's outlined with a colored border. And I say in the introduction, if you're feeling stuck, focus on that page because that page is going to, it's a little more instructional than the prompt pages. It's things like creating a self-care practice or a way to review your current coping skills and, you know, assess what is working and what isn't. Because when we talk about coping, coping can be adaptive or maladaptive, and we want you to have adaptive. And some of the other ones are, are specific meditation techniques or grief therapy principles. But it, it is that thing where we can we do a lot of our grief work on our own, but it is really helpful to have a guide or some direction that says, hey, why don't you look, what about over here? Because we can get really fixated, almost like we have blinders on to one thing if it's really troubling or hurtful or painful, and we can miss opportunities to alleviate suffering. And so sometimes having someone who's supportive can be like, I understand this really hurts and you also have the possibility to maybe approach your hurt with more kindness than resentment to yourself. I'm talking about self-compassion and right there that can create a lot of space. Yeah, like as you're talking, I was just envisioning how people can do this and have it not only help them like on their own, but it's a great talking tool for someone that they are getting supported by as a guide for what they can talk about too and what their insights are into it. And I think that's sort of the beauty of like people can, as we go back to sort of that dream worksheet, it has its own power by doing it, but there's another power about sharing. Mm 
what came out. And I think that's what's really great about this too. I agree. It's, it's, I already have had a couple of the organ, organizations like bereavement organizations. I work with buy them in bulk because they're going to do groups around it. Or it could be something that you take to your therapist or that something that a therapist provide, you know, can ask the prompts to the client. It, it helps give this some direction in a time where you feel like you're completely in the vortex. Mm, utterless. Mm-hmm. On a boat in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we wrap up the podcast, one of the last questions that we'd like to ask that you already know is if you could have a dream today of monster talking, what would he say? (laughs) (laughs) Carrots. Carrots. (laughs) You know, and carrots, I mean, part of me wants to say that monster would tell me how much he loves me and how awesome I am. And, you know, I'm the best dog mom. And, and monster, by the way, had two dog moms before me. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, you were the best, yeah. uh, but I was the forever dog mom, right? He says that to all of them in their dreams. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, what's sad is I don't know if the other two even think about him, you know, I mean, they had, they each had the option to keep him and they didn't. And, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about before, where part of me is like, why wouldn't you have wanted to keep this dog? And yeah. when Craig came to me and said, you know, my, my ex-wife wants to get rid of him, uh, I'm giving you the first you know, write a refusal. And I'm like, I didn't have to think. Um, so anyway, but back to this last question, I kind of would want him to say carrots because carrots lets me know he's happy. Like that's his joy. Yeah. And, and it, so it's not even about me. I just want to know that that little guy is as happy as he could possibly be. That, that will bring me a lot of joy. I like that. And so what, what's the location? Do you want to be in a carrot field? Do you want to be handing them carrots? So, what's going on? So we're on, we, we used to have this red velvet couch. That sounds very luxurious. It was not because of the cat, but we, Craig and I talk about like our ideas of the afterlife and, and we often talk about how some of the best moments were with Woody monster and Tiki just sitting on that red couch and so I think that we're probably just hanging out there, enjoying, like, you know, there's not a lot going on. There's just community, not community, there's family and love and, and comfort and security. And so if I'll get real specific, there'll be, Craig will be in the corner of the couch because that's where he always is. Um, Tiki will be glaring at us from the back of the couch because that's his happy place is hating. Um, I say that lovingly, uh, Woody will be stretched on Craig's lap and, and monster will be on my lap, just looking up with those big soulful eyes that say carrot. And I will have a whole bunch of them ready to go. That's that's excellent. I love it. (laughs) I do too. I feel so happy and joyful. That's so good. No, I really hope you have that. And you really actually will fill out that tool and try that to sort of see if you can get something similar to that. I think it'd be a really good practice for you just to be able to see the power of being able to do this yourself because some of your clients are doing it too. Absolutely. I will do that. That will be my homework and you can check in. You can check in with me. And it'd be nice to also get Craig to do it and to just sort of compare what dreams that you guys would want and how they differ. I think that's a good speaking tool to bring that that conversation back. Yeah. That will be lovely. We'll try that. Cool. It's like it's like a guided journal entry, but you know, for dreams. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you got it. You nailed it. <laughs> Nothing gets by you, Heather. <laughs> nope. We got your back, Heather. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the work you all do because this is this is soul work, you know. This oh, is subconscious. Yeah. It is love it so much. It's uh not only helpful to you, hopefully, it's helpful to us. It's helpful to me. All these conversations I get to have and specifically talking to you i remember i had a, such a great time last episode and and even this one is it's just enjoyable you have a great way of talking and great storytelling and uh you know you're just uh just a really knowledgeable authentic person mm, thank you as as you would probably as i would say you're great at holding space for love and whatever that entails and i think that's what's remarkable about you and that's why i love who you are so much and i've been on i know your podcast twice and we just became friends and i'm just happy that you've developed something new to help the world because there is a lot of not only words in you but there's a lot of love in you but the love comes out right and i, I like how you're able to be able to make this uh, guided journal to be able to help people with less words but with the feeling and the, I could feel the feeling within there. And so, you know, as much as words help people, the energy with what you make something with, like the spaces between the words help people even more. So it's great just you being you and you being so open and vulnerable on the podcast. We really appreciate that. And so where can people find the book and find you? All right. So the book is available wherever you buy your books, which might be your local bookstore or it might be Amazon. So you can also uh, find it. Well, if you go to my website, there'll be a link to Amazon. But if you go to my website, mindfulnessandgrief.com forward slash journal, or if you just look in the book section and go to the journal, there's a place where you can download an excerpt if you want to kind of see what you're getting into, but I think you'll get hooked. I want to just give a shout out to the book that during launch week, it hit number one in guided journals and new releases, which was really exciting. And I think that was from a lot of people who looked at the excerpt ahead of time and felt like it could help them. And you can find my mindfulness and grief podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. And Awaken is my meditation and journaling for grief program. It's both a course and live events, and you can choose between just a course or the course with the live events and even a private coaching package if you just want to spend some one-on-one time with me. And that is at meditationforgrief.com. Excellent. Feeling all the feels on this episode with Heather Stang. It's been really fun, and I hope our listeners felt the feels as well. So this is this episode. Tune into the next one. And as we like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to know more about the topic, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. On there, you can take our two online courses. Number one is a Grief Dreams workshop by Dr. Joshua Black, which is designed to help you learn all about the topic. And number two is Crazy in Love Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth, which is designed to make you rethink modern intimate relationships. And that's by Dr. Joshua Black and Jade Carling Black. On the website, you can also book a one-on-one Grief Dreams consulting session with Dr. Black. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. 
And we have two clubs on Clubhouse that you can follow, Grief Dreams and Grief Cafe. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified of when we release new episodes. You can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group to share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. Once again, to help support the podcast, please subscribe and read the podcast on the platform you listen to it on. This helps our show come up when people search for Grief Dreams podcast. Also, you can become a member of the podcast through Patreon. We have three membership levels, $1.50 a month, $7 a month, and $20 a month. And again, this money helps us run the podcast. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes. We would like to thank all those who continue to support us. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can be comforted by your dreams tonight.